As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Danielle Wiley hosts a great podcast called The Art of Sway. Danielle, tell us what you talk about on the show. The Art of Sway brings listeners inside the world of marketing as seen through the lens of influence. So each week I chat with an expert guest for a lively discussion about connecting ideas with audiences in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com. Find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Fearless Business Podcast, sharing with you the business behind running a business. We're your hosts, Jamie Lieberman and Mary Clavier. Each week, we'll be bringing you great guests, insights from our experiences, and a behind-the-scenes look at all the topics you may be afraid to tackle in your business, but shouldn't be. So sit back, get comfy, and let's get started. Episode 88 of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm Mary and I'm here with my co-host Jamie. This week, well, this marks what, like four episodes in of going weekly. And what do you think, Jamie? Are we are we better at the intro now? <laughs> <laughs> are we still stumbling over getting, our own names? Getting, yes, we getting are. More practice. <laughs> <laughs> I we managed to do it without um like seven yeah. takes, just seven. Yeah. The bloop Don has less blooper material to work with. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Don. Sorry. We're so Sorry, awesome now. <laughs> we are. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. I mean, we're we're you forced me to plan. We have an amazing Google Doc. Uh, yes. Really we are planning. You are doing it. I'm you proud of are us. doing it. I'm I am. I'm proud of us too. I know. It was hard. It was great. Giving ourselves a pep talk I know. on our We're own incredible. show. You're incredible, Mary. <laughs> so are you, Jamie. I think the moral of the story is we had put off going every week for so long because we're like, we don't have time. We can't do it. We're not doing it. And then we finally, because Don made us and don't tell him I said this, but he was right. He just sent us a message. I don't, I don't, you have to go that far. I mean, <laughs> he just sent us a message. To him. He's muted, but he wrote dorks. That's not cool, Don. I was just going to give you a compliment, Don. He sort of pushed us and he's like, you guys need to go every week. And he was right. Lightning shall now strike. <laughs> uh, that's recorded. 
it will be here forever that we said that. Gross. You know he's not. But yes, I suppose. I suppose he was kind of right. It's true. Yeah. But it's good. It's it's true because you know there's never a right time. Like, and you just make it work. That's what we're doing. Well, and it's forcing us to plan and be more organized and plan out episodes like more in advance. And I mean, hopefully for the listeners too, for everyone listening, it's nicer to have a podcast pop up every week instead of every other week. I look forward to the podcasts I listen to. So yeah, so I think it's it's definitely been good. Um, and it's also, we're doing more, we're able to schedule more of our Fearless Founders, which we have one of those today. Um, and we've been doing some solo episodes and I forced myself to go on video. So I channeled Sarah Cook. That. Thank you. I channeled Sarah Cook from one of our oh, previous thanks. episodes and I just, yeah. I just did it. Yeah. It took 75 takes and I did it. And Don <laughs> That's coming what my on. my first solo episode took. Don coming on going, okay, now take a breath. You're fine. <laughs> In his very soothing Don-like voice. I started recording sometimes by myself. I don't know if I said this before, but I like, I would say like, take 100. <laughs> That's how it feels. It's really hard to talk to yourself on video. It just is. Yeah, yeah. It, it really, really is. Like, I, I yeah. So we're going to try to well, do I some more it. videos. We're going to do video. It's happening. Not only in, right. through hashtag legal and not only through Transitions Collective, which you do already, but we're going to put videos, some more yeah. videos here as well. So fearless business podcast videos coming soon. Oh boy, now you said I, it, so I now we it. have to do it. I'm going to will it can't into we get, existence. Can't we get more used to weekly first? I know, right? That. Stop pushing us. <laughs> Don't be difficult. Like, somebody just, on. somebody I know in like my Facebook feed just posted that they did like a vision board in the beginning of January uh, and that everything they put on the vision board has come true. So I guess she willed it vision, into existence. Yeah, vision boards are, are a thing. I did one this year for the first time. I know you did. You showed it to me. Yeah. So oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've never we'll done. We'll see one how before. much of it actually happens this year, but um, I think a lot of it has happened. Yeah, that's yeah, maybe a good amount of it. That's true. I'll have to revisit it. We'll make vis- we'll make vision boards in the community too. Maybe that would be a fun thing to do. I I know you know who does that. Um, Malika, one of yeah, our, she, do- she yeah. does it with like a crew, she does. and I don't. I think it's just a bunch of friends. She yeah. was telling me about it. There you go. Now you have something to do in January in the Transitions Collective yeah. is vision boards. Right. You got to get like a million magazines. Yes. But yeah, I've never start, created a vision board. I'll have board. to start collecting them from now. Oh, Could you have you it? See, do you oh, think I've done a vision let's board, do that. Mary? No. I wasn't actually surprised. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe she acted so surprised about this. <laughs> I wasn't thinking is clearly what that yeah. was. You were just like, oh, that's so nice. Wait, what? <laughs> No, I've never done a vision board. <laughs> you got me. It is by my sheer mental will that things happen. Right. right. I know. I mean, it's because I'm so stubborn. 2020, watch out for Jamie. She's she's already doing planning. She's already in an accountability group. You're killing me. I mean, We're going to talk about that. That's a future episode. We We're going to talk it about is. accountability groups and how awesome. Mary drags me into that. I love you for it. Like I don't. You, I do. I'm grateful look, for look, you all the time. Look what a bright spot of sunshine I'm on your life. You are. We didn't yeah. see each other for a couple of weeks. And we actually had a phone call not long ago. And we're like, I feel like I miss you. Yeah. We really Which is crazy because we live like two blocks from each yeah. other. But really, we hadn't, hadn't seen, seen each you. other or talked. You went well, away. I was away. You were away before that, I think. Yeah. We should probably talk about our guest. I mean, this could be a love yeah. affair. We could talk for another 20 minutes. <laughs> That's what everyone's going to get weekly yeah. now. Just love affairs. We love each other. 
Yeah. It's awesome. We're squad goals. Thank you. Let me talk. Let me talk about our guests. So this is actually I did the interview, um, and this one's pretty near and dear to my heart um, because our guest, her name is Mina Lele, and she is the founder and CEO of Lil Mixins, which is a maker of infant foods to get eggs and nuts into babies' diets and reduce their risk of food allergies. And anybody who knows me knows that I have a son with a lot of food allergies, so I was very excited to talk to her about this. Uh, Minal is an an engineer and an entrepreneur, and Little Mixins is her third successful startup after being on the founding teams of Knee Creations and Valino Vascular. She is a mom of two and lives in Philadelphia. Go birds! That didn't come from me. That came from Minal because I'm not allowed to say that in my household. But she lives in Philadelphia. Say, yeah, that's no not allowed at all. But I liked her enough that I would say it. <laughs> she lives in Philadelphia with her family. So now on to our fearless founder interview. I am so excited. Today is our first interview with someone besides Mary and I um, on our new Fearless Founder series. Today, I'm joined by Minal Lele, who has a company called Little Mixins. And I am, it's so, this is so personal to me that I am very excited to talk to her about it. So welcome to the show. Hey, Jamie, thanks for having me today. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about this awesome company you've created. Sure. Um, I'm based in Philadelphia. I have uh, two sons. Um, the company that uh, we've created is a way for parents to introduce common allergens that are difficult to prepare. So right now we're focused on peanuts, eggs, and tree nuts um, into their infants' diets. And what that does and what that's been proven to do in giant studies is reduce your child's risk of developing a food allergy. I've actually been trying to come up with a great analogy for it. And one of the best ones I can is, is like a flu vaccine where if you do this, you can drastically reduce your chance. You know, if you take a flu vaccine, you drastically reduce your chance of getting the flu. And even when you get the flu, it's less severe. And this is the same principle so far with early introduction of foods. So what gave you the idea to start this company? It's pretty revolutionary. There really isn't anyone doing it. Uh, so what what was your journey to get you to this point? Yeah, I've talked a lot on my website and things like that about kind of what got me here. But the truth is, you know, a lot of people focus on my older son who has a bunch of the food allergies. But really, the story is about my second son and having, you know, a child with food allergies in the house. And then with my second son, I really wanted to prevent him now that I had this information that food allergies could be prevented. I wanted to prevent him from developing the same illnesses. And I just found out that it was much harder than I thought it would be. Um, I actually made most of my baby food at home. We tried, uh, I always felt like the pouch foods were really sugary and maybe just kind of expensive. And I thought a little bit environmentally wasteful. So we tried to generally give kids whatever we were eating pureed in a blender, but making baby food just adds time. And then prepping these, you know, these foods three times a week, several different foods. It just adds incremental time that most parents, especially if you have other children, don't have. And for me, what really struck me is we all know prevention is worth so much more, right? We'd rather prevent a disease than treat it and try and cure it later because you have to suffer with it. It's always harder to treat things than 
simply to prevent them in the first place. And I realized that no parent was going to do this. No parent was going to follow through on what scientists were saying you should do just because it was too difficult. We all have our threshold of what we can accommodate in a day. There's plenty of other things parents are already being told to do. So I knew this one was going to be thrown by the wayside, but I every day have this, you know, stark reminder of how one son, I just don't think about, I almost like don't think about what he's doing all day. And the other son, every mealtime, somewhere in the back of my head, I'm waiting for a call from school, from the school saying that something went wrong. And, you know, that, that's my experience, but their experience of freely walking into birthday parties is so different, you know, one freely walking in the other one carrying all his food in is just so different that I just so why are we letting kids go through this? Why, why would we create or allow a world where so many kids were sick if we could stop it from happening? Many people may not know this, but um, I have the exact same situation as you. I have two sons. My older son has extreme food allergies as well. And my younger son has none, um, which also always baffles me. <laughs> um, it's just unbelievable. And there are so many children in this situation. And frankly, the way that you framed it from your perspective as the parent is how I feel every day. And without walking a mile in those shoes, it's really hard to explain it's not like an over, it's not a fear that you think about all the time. It's just sort of in the back of your head, right? You're always wondering, the phone rings and you're like, there's the call. <laughs> or, you know, we just, we just had this conversation where I'm like, we need to review how to use your EpiPen. I just had this conversation with him like a day ago, where I said, I want to, I want to go through it again. So you know how to use it yourself. And these are conversations I don't want to be having with my eight-year-old. <laughs> so I love what you've done. So this feels like an overwhelming thing to take on, particularly when you have two children of your own. What, did you have a background in any way, shape or form with food or production of a good or anything like that? Uh, not with food, but I did come um, from, um, I worked previously at two medical device startups. I didn't found them. I was on the early teams of both. And, you know, so I was there for, for both products, kind of as we were going through the process of designing things. I hold a patent from the first company. I think we have some patent applications from the second one. Um, so, you know, how we design things, how we uh, eventually manufacture them and the kinds of things you have to worry about. So um, I had at least that amount of background. You know, I knew what kinds of questions to ask, um, what things were going to be important. And But then I'll tell you that the truth is that each product is different and food is very different than medical devices. Um, most medical devices don't really have, you know, a shelf life, for example, they're sterilized, and they just sort of stay sterile for a really, really long time. And, you know, it's different. And the, the concerns are really different. The types of manufacturers you work with are really different. So I've made a ton of mistakes along the way. But thankfully, some of the mistakes have been avoided just because I knew to do some things from the beginning. So did you have a mentor or someone who sort of helped you along this brand new journey? Or were you like, you know what, I'm just gonna figure it out. I got this. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I've sort of been just doing it myself. And um, obviously, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, and I always I'll talk to anyone that'll talk to me about things, because I think every conversation yields some good insights. I've almost never had a chat with someone where I didn't walk away with at least, you know, one thing to scribble down and remember for later, kind of thing. 
uh, no, I've mostly been doing it myself. Honestly, the last two companies have really been a sort of training ground. You know, I asked a lot of questions um, as those were, as I was in, as we were building those companies, I had the opportunity with the last one to work closely with the two founders. Uh, when, when I was brought on, I was the first employee at the company. So there was a lot of, you know, how did you make that decision? Why did you make that decision? What were you thinking about? What are you worried about? And uh, the inventor of that device, he would always take the time to talk me through it and think through capital strategies and, you know, how to talk to investors about things. And I was just sort of curious, but it, but then it kind of paid off because um, I ask a lot of questions. I just kind of, I like to know what's going on. And now I, then I had that information, which was pretty useful. I love that. I am a questioner by nature. Um, anybody who's ever met me in person will know that I will pepper you with 10,000 questions um, until you wave your white flag with mercy. But it's truly because I just I just want to know stuff. Like I'm interested in people and what they're doing. I'm very interested in businesses. Um, and I like what you said that just having those conversations, I really subscribe to the same notion where you can walk away from every single conversation you have with something. And it's it can be and it, it got that's what's guided me through my process of building and running a company is I just ask questions of people. I see what their path is. And although your path and your product is so vastly different than what I do um, as someone who owns a law firm, I know there's things I can learn from you and take from your experiences. And that's the beauty of having those conversations and getting in front of people. Um, I think that's a common theme amongst really successful business owners is the want to have knowledge and to ask questions um, and to be open to all those conversations, no matter who the person is. Yeah. And just, and really to listen for trends, you know, I think sometimes it's just about you ask, you have the same conversation with 50 different people, but you'll start to hear, you'll start to hear where every 10 out of 50 got stuck, you know, and that's, that's kind of, um, and that can be really useful information because it's so easy to get stuck in your own head and things that make sense to you don't (laughs) generally don't make sense to other people. I know that's, that's often been the case for me, things that I think are really obvious or like, why wouldn't you do it that way? You know, everybody else looks at me like that's, that's fetch it. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) We'll sneak one in. (laughs) But I agree with you. Um, you, It's so much easier to step out. That's why I'm a huge believer in sort of the peer tribe, as people like to call it, whatever you want to call it. If you have those people that you trust who may or may not be in your in your industry. And sometimes it's better if they're not, but you can see things so clearly when you're not in the midst of it, when you're not, you know, surrounded by it, um, that it makes a huge difference and being open to other people's opinions, but also feeling strong when you know that your path is the right one. Um, it's a balance that you have to learn, I think, over the course of just experience. It, it really is. And I, I think that's one thing that I struggle with a lot is you have these convictions and at the same time that you have really strong convictions, and those are so important for a founder, you know, think about, you hear stories all the time about people that are just so convinced of themselves, and they're totally wrong, you know? And and my sister and I recently were, I I was on vacation visiting her, and we were skiing. And so on the ski lifts, for some reason, we were were playing this game called where we were, we were just trying to come up with fun, contradictory advice people give entrepreneurs, like, really believe in yourself, but listen to others, you know, don't move fast, but make sure you don't make mistakes and hurry too much, you know, like things like that, that you're like, I don't, what am I supposed to do here? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am a firm, I, I don't, 
I actually don't, and I'm not supposed to say this as a podcast host. I don't really listen to podcasts or read business books. Um, I don't read business articles. People look at me like I have a thousand heads when I get into groups of other entrepreneurs. They're like, have you read this? Have you seen this? Have you listened to that? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> There's so much noise and I don't want to get distracted by it. So I feel like it's knowing when to ask because I don't know everything by any stretch. And there are like a couple things I'm really good at and then everything else I just ask around. But I think a lot of it is knowing yourself, um, where your strengths are, and then finding people who can fill in for the, the things you're not as great at. It makes all the difference. And that helps quiet the noise when you're trying to build a business and also helps you stay track because you have to keep those convictions so strong. Um, and I think that's important in running that business is to stay strong. And that game is funny. I'm, I think I'm going to be I think that actually is going to be what we put in the HQ. <laughs> we have a, 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 a Facebook group for the podcast and we always ask a question and I think that's going to be our question. It's, it's a really fun game. Like once you start playing it, it's, you, you, it's like the, li the list is endless. And, you know, to your point about the podcast, I, I've been having a couple conversations or I've had conversations lately where people said, you know, well, don't you listen to, was it, it's how I built this with, with Guy Raz. And, and they're like, didn't you notice that, you know, so-and-so like, you know, this is how they did it. And I said, well, that, that's such a, that's such selection bias, you know, they're talking to people. And I was like, yeah, but I also listened to the podcast one with the guy from five guys. And if you listen to it, he asked his kids to, instead of sending them to college, take all the money and they would pool it and start a burger joint. And like, yes, it worked out and it's worked out great for them, but that is a terrible, terrible decision. Right. And I was like, if you just listen to this podcast and follow what they do, I, I guarantee your life will be a mess. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I know. Because we have all these are all the like the good stories. <laughs> the successes. Yes, they didn't tell you they didn't interview the other, you know, 75 or whatever people that took their kids college money and everybody's bankrupt. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, that's so, so true. So what do you do in those moments? Um, I think all all of us who are running businesses struggle with this when you just are not feeling fearless, when you're feeling tired or, or you're just like, man, I don't know if I can do this. How do you get through those times? Uh, I alternate between going to the gym and having a bourbon. Is that a fair answer? Yes, I love that answer. I go to the gym. We have so much in common. I'm loving chatting with you. I'm a gym person. So when I'm feeling frustrated, because I tend to go, you know, Mary and I talk about this a lot. She cries, I get mad. So, you know, we all deal with our emotions in different ways. So I just rage work out. <laughs> But I like the bourbon that works. And so yeah, it depends on what time of day it is, right? If my husband feels okay with me going for a run, <laughs> if it's too late, then it's time for a bourbon, I guess. I like that a lot. Throughout the course of your company, what to date do you think has been just like the biggest learning experience that you've had um, while you've been creating what you've created? You know, I think um, we talked about this just briefly before, but it came up about not assuming that the way you think is the way everybody thinks. And, you know, this is, I think one of the biggest learning experiences for me has been, I don't, I don't really think that I thought, you know, this would take off and it would just be viral from the beginning. I, but I, maybe somewhere inside, I hope that it would. And I, I guess everybody kind of hopes that, but it just seems so obvious to me, right. That it's that, <laughs> and the amount of time I've had to spend explaining things to people and the number of just bizarre questions I've gotten 
from parents or from investors is, and you know, everyone in between that I think has been the hardest part for me in some way, because there are just so many products out there that I just don't understand why they exist and they're doing great. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's wonderful. But this one, this idea that you would try, you would take every opportunity you have as a parent to, um, you know, protect your kid is just too obvious to me. And so I, I really struggle with how much of a um, challenge it's been to convince people of it. And then, and then as we talk to producers, or maybe that's not the right word, editors, I suppose, um, the number of people who refuse to write about our product, carry our product, because they're worried about liability risk or something, that also has just been really frustrating for me to wrap my head around, because I just, you know, you'll talk to a store or something, they're like, well, we don't want to carry your product. And I'm like, okay, but you carry peanut butter, right? So if the parent doesn't have my powdered, you know, powdered peanut butter, that's, or it's, it's like a powdered peanut butter, but um, that's designed specifically to be safe for a four month old and proportioned correctly, then they're going to use your peanut butter, this other store peanut butter, which isn't safe for their baby at four months old. And whatever reaction you thought was going to happen, which for the record, it isn't, but whatever you thought was going to happen is going to happen either way. So I don't, I don't understand. I had this one company who I was trying to work with, uh, who I thought had a great peanut and I really wanted to work with them to powder, (laughs) to powder peanuts for me, basically. And on scale, and this is a company for the record that, you know, they, they, they grow and make peanut products. So they have a huge vested interest in people being able to eat peanuts, right? Or in other nuts. So if, if peanuts are banned from schools and planes and baseball fields and everything else, their market share goes down, right? But their lawyers won't let them work with me. You know, I, I was like, no, this is, this is the whole future. If you can't stop this allergy, the rate of allergies from getting worse, your business is going to be hit. And how do you not see that? Um, and so there, it's been little things like that, I feel that have been frustrating. But I think that's normal for entrepreneurs, you want everything done yesterday. And you're, you're, you're running at whatever number of miles an hour, convinced as we talked about that, this is the right thing to do. And, and sometimes you forget that you really have to bring people along with you. And they, they did not spend their whole day thinking about almonds today, you know, <laughs> the way you did. <laughs> exactly. I had, and, and it's such an interesting analogy, but I, I had a similar, ex- I had an experience on a, a, a clearly a much smaller scale. But when my son first went to school, um, when he was three, um, in the where we live in Hoboken, um, we have public preschool. And so our preschool is not free for many of the kids who do have allergies. And I was standing in line waiting uh, to go inside and drop my son off. Oh, no, to pick my son up, I remember. And there were two moms in front of me, and they were on a tear about not being able to send peanut butter to school. What a hassle. What an annoying. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Right. And so I had a moment where I went to rage because that's what I do. And I was like, all right, take a breath. This is an education moment. And so I tapped them on the shoulder and I said, hey, I just want to give you a little bit of information. I'm not angry. Um, You could take with it what you want. But let me show you the face of the person who, if your child does bring peanut butter, he could die. And it was such a moment for them where they were like, I don't I had no idea. I didn't understand. Like they just until you walk a mile in those shoes, I feel like you have this extra hurdle (laughs) 
to explain to people who haven't been touched by having to deal with a food allergy that it's it's even harder to explain just how difficult because there's so much negative press out there about food allergies and about how we can't accommodate the world to people who have food allergies. And you've heard it all. You've seen it all. You've read it all. And I try to silence that noise. But it's out there and you're combating that on top of trying to probably educate people in a science they may not understand that I could see why you may need a run or a bourbon every once in a while. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough. And I think the education, you know, cause I don't, I just much like I didn't want my own kids to get sick. I don't want anyone kids, anyone's kids to get sick. And that, you know, that I've been having a lot of conversations recently with people about that particular issue of nut bans. And it's an interesting one because the, the rate of dairy allergies um, is higher and the rate of egg allergies is higher than peanuts or tree nuts. And they are just as deadly and everything else. And yet nobody, almost nobody bans dairy or eggs or wheat from school. And, and I'm not sure that they should because I'm not sure kids should all be on a paleo diet, you know? And, and I, you know, it's, it's funny because the truth is it's like, it's such a human nature. The way we're solving this problem is so bizarre, right? Because the truth is it's not about banning the food. My, Almost every person probably can, I know that there's some people who can't, truly can't be around the food at all. And I I don't know what to do with that. But I think it's a worse thing to make the entire population really change the way they eat. We just, we don't know what the consequences of that are. And it's it's like, we why can't we just get to a place where we don't eat all the time? You know, because I think that would be the real solution is that if you went to the playground, it wouldn't be littered with candy and you know, peanut butter hands wouldn't be on things. There should be times of the day where we eat and then we wash our hands and then we go to the playground and then we go, you know, then we go back to our tables at school. And most schools, I mean, they've shown that peanut, peanut free schools, or no, sorry, peanut only tables or no peanut tables, I guess, don't actually stop the um, rates of anaphylaxis. There's no, there's no effect on the number of incidents that happen in those schools. I think peanut free schools do seem to have some amount of benefit. But really, again, that's, that's the solution, right? Is that food is only eaten in the cafeteria, everybody washes their hands afterwards. And then then it's not spread all over the school, and everybody's fine. And I I get it, like, I, my kids are little too, I understand why that's difficult with toddlers, and they're always hungry. Um, I, I understand the challenges. I just think that if we can work to some sort of system like that, and I, I don't know how it works on a plane. Like there's no, you know, you can't have a cafe car on the plane or something. So I, I don't know what we do there, but it, it's not, it's not a perfect solution, but hopefully we'll have some more nuanced conversations about how to deal with the 10% of Americans that have food allergies and how to, you know, make the world navigable for them because the way we're yelling at each other right now just isn't terribly productive um, when there are solutions to be had, you know, it, you don't, you don't have to eat food at your desk at work. We could keep, you know, we could confine it to certain places. Manufacturing facilities are always free of food and they all seem to be able to make it through a work day. So, so can everybody else. I like the idea of changing the conversation to affect change every bit as much as launching products as you've done. And it sounds like you're doing both together, which is very, very cool. Um, and I'm excited for it. So I'm excited to keep watching what you're doing. So what's next for the company? What are your plans? What can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, I, the the next level for the company is um, I, I actually, as you know, well, with being an entrepreneur, you know, you can you want you, you want progress right away. And 
sometimes you get like, oh, what, what's, you know, what's going to happen? But I'm actually really starting to see some really bright signs. And um, there was a study done in 2018 looking at the number of doctors, you know, who were talking about early introduction with their patients, pediatricians specifically, and then a group in Northwestern kind of redid the study in 2019. And there's been a huge uptake in the discussion with uh, parents at the four to six month well visit. And I'd still think the discussion is lagging the truth, which is people are saying things like, you know, you should introduce these foods. Um, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's the right place to be, but I don't think they're stressing enough that it has to be like a regular part of the diet. I think a lot of people are confused and, and they think, well, if I, if I give my kid, um, a chopped up, uh, boiled egg one time, you know, when they were six months old, then I'm good to go. And I don't have to worry about it again until they're one and a half and can whatever, whatever age I decide I want to feed them eggs again. But that, but that's still a bright sign that doctors are talking about it. And I will say that I'm, as you probably are, I'm on a lot of these, you know, food allergy, mom, parents, Facebook groups and things like that. And the conversation when, when the concept of early introduction um, has typically come up, usually you just get a lot of parents commenting like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And if that were true, how could it be that my kid, blah, 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 you know, I, my kid exhibited allergies early and, and people are bad at statistics. So they don't understand that an 80% reduction does not mean hundred percent. And that, you know, and that we're, and that some, some, we're not going to get to every single kid, but the idea is to get to a lot. But just recently, I saw a couple conversations where somebody brought it up and the entire comment thread, obviously, this is a comment thread that's particularly interesting to me. The entire comment thread was people saying, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do nowadays. This is what my pediatrician said to do. This is what my allergist said to do. And, you know, so if your allergist said differently, get a second opinion and get these foods into your kid's diet early. So I thought that about face to me, um, there's was actually really awesome. And I feel like what we need to do as a company to finally answer your question is support that. Um, we are trying to do, we're putting a lot more effort into education, you know, re just recognizing that you can't just, you can't just like just throw data. I mean, we've seen that a lot with the anti-vaccine movements and everything else. Like you can't just throw data at people, right? You have to make it make sense to them and explain to them why what you're saying makes sense and bring them along with you. And, and that it's, it's fair. It's, you, you have to start from the perspective that it's totally fair for someone to disbelieve you. Right. You can't come from the premise that, well, how dumb they are because they didn't just accept what you said. Like, who am I? Why should they accept what I think? Start from the premise that, sure, they should they have every right to be suspicious um, that the guidelines have done, you know, an about face. And so what what do they need to find comfort in this? What do they need? Right. And then if you start from there, then you realize that you're selling a product. But really, our bigger product is education. Our product is having that conversation correctly with parents, making parents feel comfortable about this. And then you know, the, the sales of the of the physical product follow from that, you know, then then because otherwise peanut powders and tree nut powders and egg powders don't make any sense, you know? So you can't expect people to just like snatch this stuff up if they have no idea why they would do this in the first place. That that makes perfect sense. I love it. I love changing that narrative. I think it's incredibly important. And the education is exactly right. I've actually left all of those Facebook groups because I couldn't take them anymore. I really did. It was just, I know why you're in them, but I, I was like, nope, I'm out. And we have one, yeah, they're they're tough, right? <laughs> They are. And, and then kind of going back with one more point on this is like, I, is that it's the one of the things that's is you have to, again, accept where people are today, where America is today, right? That we've come so far removed from real food, because I see this all the time on these Facebook groups of parents saying, well, you know, my kid is peanut, tree nut, 
anaphylactic to peanut tree nut soy, or no, that's not a good example. Peanut tree nut sesame. Like, what can he eat? And you know, I always want to respond. Um, literally everything else. You know, I don't just just go to the grocery store. Just don't buy those three things. You know, and and but what because but I understand what they're asking is what packaged goods can my kid eat safely? You know, and it's like we've forgotten that that's not actually food, and that if you just went to the produce aisle, your kid would be fine. And and I get it. There's you know time constraints and everything else. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I but again, so you have to start from where people are today. It's like they've lost that understanding of what food actually is, and they're only thinking about packaged goods and you know things like that. So start from there, and then and and work forward, and then and then it's easier to stay calm on um, some of these Facebook threads. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bear that in mind. Although I'm not gonna lie, I'm not going back in there. Okay, I'm just fair. gonna watch what you're putting out because yep. you put out good educated <laughs> materials. So I have one final question that we like to ask all of our um, fearless founders, and that is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? I guess the piece of advice that I give my younger self is to stay cool. Um, not like be cool, but stay cool. <laughs> um, um, because I think you're just in such a rush when you're younger to, to, you know, to make your mark on the world, to do things and you just really don't know anything. And then that, then that's sort of endemic to the condition of being a teenager and, you know, person in your early twenties is that you, really feel like you have all the information and you definitely have none of the information, but you can't not feel that way. That's just sort of something about being, you know, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 25 or something. I don't know. So, you know, the advice is to stay cool, like do your time. You, you learn a lot along the way. And I think it's, it can be so distracting to see kids basically coming out of their dorm rooms with companies and whatever else. And you're thinking, why, why didn't I do that? You know, um, someone who was I talking to the other day about Lin-Manuel Miranda, that's his name. Um, you know, he wrote in the Heights when he was in college and, you know, and, and there's all these examples now of uh, people who've just done these amazing things by the time they're you know 19 years old, but a lot of great things are built on experience, not, and, and when you're ready, you know, so I had this child who had these issues but this wouldn't have come together had I not also had the experience of the last two startups. And I also, you know, and the flip and the other way of looking at it is like, okay, I was really into doing startups, but I never would have taken on my own had I not been so personally moved by this. You know, people used to say, well, why don't you do your own startup? And I said, well, I don't really have a good idea. You know, I don't, I don't know what I would do. And then this, this came along and it's a lot of it is just being ready, you know, just stay calm, stay cool. And, and um, that's, they, that's what they say, right? That's what luck is, is sort of a, being prepared or I can't remember the saying now I'm really doing a really bad job being like quite like uh, George W. Bush right now. <laughs> no, it's brilliant advice. I, uh, I couldn't agree with it more. I, I have young lawyers who come to me all the time and are like, Oh, I want to build the law firm you build. I'm like, I've been practicing law 15 years and I worked before I went to law school and like, give yourself a minute, like have the bad job, like do the job that you hate, be miserable for a minute, learn, and then you can build it. So that is awesome advice. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, please let everybody know where they can find you and your products. Of course, uh, our products are on our website, Lil Mixins. It's L-I-L-M-I-X-I-N-S.com. And the products are also available on Amazon. But please do visit our website. There's a ton of information there. And um, we would love it if just honestly, I would love it almost as much or more if people share this information, because as I say, and I mean this in all truth is that my goal is to 
limit the number of kids that have food allergies. So if, if that becomes an education product and that's how we solve this problem, that's fine with me. I'm, I'm, that's a win, you know? So, um, please check out the website and like read up um, all the information we have up there. I hopefully, hopefully it'll be really informative for everyone. I'm in. We're on it. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, It was a pleasure chatting with you. She was cool, right? Like, what a great. What a story. She's wicked smart. Like, well, and the fact that you're willing to like, take on and have a business that tackles food allergies is just crazy. Her talking about the kind of controversial nature of the product too, which I found, I mean, as someone who lives with it, I'm like, why is this controversial? But it was really interesting to hear about those struggles and some of the the adversity she faces in, in buy-in for um, stores because they're worried about, you know, potential reactions. And right. So that was a really and interesting just, conversation. Yeah, liabilities and everything. Exactly. Like, just tackling anything sensitive like that is yeah. and super impressive in my book. And food, like obviously you have a lot of experience yeah. in production and I know your background came from that with um, in pharmaceuticals and food is probably right up there with that. Yeah. So it was yeah. really interesting for her to like talk about that process. So that was a good one. I was yeah. very inspired by Manal and her journey. Um, so yeah, so we'd love to hear from you in the HQ. Um, if you have any founders you'd love us to interview, uh, let us know. We have a couple on the horizon, but we're always looking for amazing. Or if you're a founder and you want to yeah. be interviewed, Tell us. let us know. Tell us, please. You can find us at the Fearless Business Podcast HQ on Facebook. Um, you can also listen to us in all places you listen to podcasts. Feel free and leave us a review. We love reviews. We'd love to hear how you're loving the new Fearless Founder series. And Yeah, I will... want to know that too. Yeah, so let us know. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you'd subscribe and share this podcast. Reviews are amazing too. Please visit fearlessbusinesspodcast.com for more information. If you'd like to connect with Jamie, visit hashtag legal.com. And if you'd like to connect with Mary, visit the transitionscollective.com. Thanks so much and we'll see you next time. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is conversations with people promoting mental health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.